I'm Katie Steinberg, and this is Game Changers. Today, I'm so excited to welcome my guest, Dr. Jen Walter. Um, Jen, how is it going? Oh my gosh, it's good. We all survived Super Bowls, so like after that, the rest is like is is recovery mode now. I think and catch back up to the rest of the world. 100%. Um, Jen is not only the first female NFL coach, but she's also the first female coach on Madden. Um, so she's just the first, <laughs> she's just the first female on the sidelines, both digitally and then <laughs> in person as well. <laughs> I mean, I just like to be on the sidelines. Um, I don't like to be on the sidelines. I like to be in the game, I should say. But um, I think it's so important that we have representation in sports and esports. Um and so funny enough, the way that Madden happened, um, I actually have three Minecraft worlds um, that I did with a company out of Israel called Toya. And their whole business model was to, they really taught me about um, the importance of having women in those spaces. And their whole business model was developing these worlds around powerful women and they saw my gridiron girls camps and approached me as like, if I would be willing to have these football based Minecraft worlds done on coach Jen and my camps. And I was like, uh, yeah, <laughs> you're like, absolutely. <laughs> and you know, they were telling me just about the importance of representation in that space. And it was, it was so funny because it was like, it doesn't matter the game. The conversation is the same and the importance is the same. And the inclusion is really valuable because what we may not have seen yet, right, in the IRL, right, in the real world, say, having a female head coach in the NFL, well, we can do that and create that, that possibility even in a virtual space, which is what I thought was so cool. It's like, because me having not been able to see that a woman could coach football, where can you create that? You can in a virtual space or in like a movie space or a storytelling. And we have those game changing thoughts and moments, um, which obviously ties into your title, Game Changer. <laughs> you are um, you are the truest game changer that there is, honestly. <laughs> I was, um, yeah, I was, I already, I was telling Jen off camera, I was like, I try not to get um, too excited and be as professional as I can, but it's a little hard <laughs> with her, but <laughs> luckily she's so great. Um, so obviously, uh, you know, International Women's Day is in March. Um, this ties into what we just said, but not many of us, you know, get to be the first to do something and then see the direct impact of it. So what has that been like for you? You know, it's interesting because I think I think the first thing that we have to do is we kind of look at that trailblazer and I, I don't think we look at it right in, in because people often people are jealous of that, right? Like, um, and I laugh. I'm like, whoa, well, first of all, a timeout on that one, like all trailblazer means is that you are the one who took all the branches to the face. Right. Like, or not all of them, because there are still challenges, but you, you took a lot of them, right? It's like, you're going through the woods, you know, you've got to get to the other side. Right. And you're like, oh, 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 I didn't see that there. Oh, 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 let me cut that down. Um, and then, oh, there's, there's a barrier there and I got to go around over this, under that it's bloody, it's bruised. You're it's, the test run. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's not pretty and it's, 
not sexy and most people have no idea what to do with you or necessarily how to support you. And then everybody just thinks, oh, she's got this. Like she's got it all handled. I'm like, handled what? Like, no, I don't. No, I don't. Um, But the beauty of it is seeing other women be able to even go maybe further um, or have less resistance or not take the same questions on. Doesn't mean that they're not taking them and doesn't mean that they don't have their own challenges, but maybe they don't have to go through the same parts of the path in the same way because some of those questions have been answered. Um, the other part that's really hard about first, and I I use this very importantly, is because it is lonely as hell. And it, it well, it is, and, and it is like that in entrepreneurship. It is anytime you're a visionary or the tip of a spear, right? First inherently means only. And, and when, when I have people kind of overly glorify that at times, I'm like, don't get me wrong. I am honored, but it's an opportunity and a responsibility, right? Because the flip side of first and the flip side of only is that you have to ensure that you're not the last because you didn't give them reason to shut that door tighter than it might've before. Like I never wanted um, the narrative to be like, we had a girl once dot, 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 right? Like, and again, because, and so um, it is wonderful and invigorating to see um, women in more and more uh, positions of authority, right? As we progress forward, you know, um, in terms of, in terms of operations, in terms of scouting, in terms of ownership, all of those things. Um, and yet it's it's hard at the same time. And I think um, sometimes there's an over-romanticized view of like even me and what that journey's been like, which I, I always want to, to kind of dive into because it, it is hard too. And it's not polished and... And it does require first and foremost, like humility and fortitude totally. and, yeah. and a um, kind of a commitment to close your ears at time and just keep your head down and your vision strong because, you know, it, it could break you at any time, right? Whether it's the, the commentary or, you know, the, the part that you are an only at that time, meaning the whole narrative, you know, of something surrounds you at one point i feel like you're like you're under a microscope as well like you're going to be judged a lot more harshly and you're aware of that um so that's obviously tough as well yeah painfully aware um sometimes (laughs) make no mistake (laughs) well you know like i think i think of the statement like ignorance is bliss like i wish i was blissfully ignorant of all of these other things right like i wish i could at times take the doctor hat off or the gravity of title off and just be able to do whatever the heck I want. But that's not, it's not for me. It never has been. It's for anyone else who had that same love of football. And I just happened to be in the position to say yes to some opportunities, not because other people weren't 
as qualified or maybe even more qualified, but I just happened to be the crazy one at the point who would, who would push or who would say yes, or who would knock on a door or pick up the phone or, or frankly, piss somebody off. You're a doer. (laughs) You're doing it before you're thinking about it. But then once you're in it, you have to think about it and everything's coming at you. Very much Um, so. It also reminds me, I um, I just recently had on the CMO of the Harlem Globetrotters, and it was a little bit similar where just talking about the legacy that the Globetrotters have, it's like, she said, you know, it's almost, it's a lot of pressure sometimes. And it's like you, where you're like, it's like, um, it reminds me of that part where it's like, with great power comes great responsibility. Um, yep. And it seriously is exactly like that with you. <laughs> yeah, it definitely is. And, you know, and I look at how it, impacts other women how it impacts other coaches how it impacts other sports right because you you know if you don't have you know like i always look to for example nancy lieberman as the standard of what a trailblazer should be like right and how tough that is or how many opportunities there are right nancy played basketball against the boys just like i played football against the boys right and being on the same field with them is what opened up the opportunity to coach. And so I always kind of said, okay, there might not be someone here in football that I could directly look to and say, this is how it's done. But Nancy Lieberman is the one who has set the standard in terms of basketball. So let me look to her and learn from her journey and, you know, her thriving, you know, Um, ornery spirit, right? Like she inspires me and try and see if I can't move the needle similar way, right? In, in football. And so knowing that I looked to Nancy in basketball and took inspiration, motivation, and guidance from her, then you have to realize that the same thing, yes, in different sports. And so it's really important for those reasons. And I think sometimes, you know, I mean, and you know this, I mean, you, you've grown up in sports. We get so like, um, like locked into our own lane and our own sport that the, the things that seem big there seem like the biggest things in the world. And yet there's so many bigger things in the world that we also have to be conscious of because there is an impact and there is synergy there as well. That is so true. You initially rejected the idea of becoming a coach. What made you change your mind? Uh, Well, thankfully, Wendell Davis wouldn't let me say no. (laughs) So I'll I'll back up to everybody. And, you know, this was, this was not, I I did not have a bold enough vision of myself to say, I'm going to coach in the NFL one day, or even that I'm going to coach football. In fact, I did not believe it was a possibility. And so knowing the limitation I had had on myself in my mental vantage point is part of why I'm so outspoken and passionate about representation because I know the role it played in, in me. Right. And I I don't, I, I I can't speak for everybody. I, I hope other people have bigger visions and crazier ones than I did at times, but I know that, that wasn't the vision that I had because I hadn't been able to see it and imagine it. So, um, you know, here I am, I had a PhD in sports psychology. My business was actually coaching coaches 
at the time, no lie, working with them. Um, and that is so interesting. Yeah. On coach athlete relationships, right. And feedback and, you know, being more holistic and, um, you know, looking at the person, not simply the player. And that's, you know, obviously something I've now become known for, but at that time I was looking at feedback mechanisms, how we could improve feedback loops, like talking to coaches about, um, messages they were sending versus what athletes were receiving. Um, probably cause I'd had a lot of different coaches impact me throughout my career. And I had gotten that PhD so that I could become a unique value proposition to the sport. Somebody who both had practical experience as a player and the knowledge of, you know, the psychology of the game. And so I'm doing that with coaches. I've played on the men's team. I was highly decorated in the women's game and it never crossed my mind that I could coach football. So that is so crazy. Yeah, never. I mean, but that's just what happens. Cause there's these like invisible barriers that we have in our mind. Right. And nobody ever told me I couldn't coach football. It was just simply, I had not seen it anywhere. And you know, I had never really been, you know, I had never thought of that as being a, even a path. Right. And so, um, I caught Wendell Davis, uh, uh, Davis's attention, um, because he saw how the, the guys who I had played with reacted to me. And he was like, you know, I mean, I, I hadn't seen him in a while. We were at an event in Dallas and I walked in and all my teammates are there. You know how teammates are like, they basically pick me up and toss me around. Like football. Right. Because, you know, to them, I'm tiny and they're like, Jen, and we're all like cutting up. And Wendell literally just goes, who is that girl that all my guys love? And his defensive coordinator was like, coach, that's your running back. Cause he knew who I was. And Wendell told me later, he's like, I knew everything about you, but I never imagined that the guys would have loved you like that, that it would have been more that they tolerated having a female on their team than they embraced mm -hmm. it. And that the relationship element is what moved him to then sit me down. And I mean, when I say he grilled me, he grilled me. And y'all, I was not angling for a job. I had already made up my mind. Like, I, I mean, I survived playing a season of men's pro football by those guys every day at 37 years old, right? Which was already too old and insane in and of itself, right? And I, I already knew I wasn't doing that again. But if I was going to leave, I was going to leave that team in a better position than it was before. And if this head coach wanted to talk to me, talk to me, I'm going to tell him everything was wrong with this team. And I'm going to make sure that these guys have voices because they can't do anything to me because I'm not playing for you anymore. And I laid it out there, like, right? Like, you want to know why the team wasn't good last year? You say you include meals. Meals is not a $5 meal voucher to Arby's. These dudes are hungry. Feed them, right? And it was... It was things like that. And he grilled me on football. And you're like, what do you not get? <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, this isn't hard. Like, care for them, love on them. Like, they're not making a lot of money. So they don't have extra money to go get food. What they get from you is what they get. And this isn't okay. And they're not going to sacrifice for you because they don't feel like you're providing for them. Right. It's like 
any relationship. This is not rocket science. And I was like, this is my business. And I'm going to give you the business. Frankly. It's like the Mazo's hard cave needs. Like it's That's like, right. yeah. That's right. And yeah. I'm going to give you the business because these guys are my business and they're my friends. And <laughs> it's what personal. It is. That's right. And I, it, you know, I, I'm sure I never would have said all those things if I had thought like, maybe I want to get a job with them, but, um, you know, thankfully Wendell, that's the kind of dude he is. And the next day he called me and he said, all my defensive coordinator and I could talk about is how you have to coach this football team. Oh my gosh. I was like, no. And he said, what? No. And I said, no. I said, girls don't do that. And he said, not a lot of guys are going to give you this opportunity. You're taking this job. And I said, no. And I hung up on him. And so, you know, um, I guess no, no woman is going to say no to Wendell Davis. I'd have to see what his dating life is like. Because that dude, that, that's what to say. Right. That dude did not take no for an answer. The very <laughs> next day he called me back and he said, do you remember how I told you not a lot of guys were going to give you this opportunity and you were taking this job? I said, yeah. He said, good. I took it for you. You're coaching for me. And by the way, you can't quit. Otherwise, the entire narrative surrounding women coaching and men's pro football will be, we had a girl once. and she Oh, quit. my God. He hit you. He knew exactly what to do. But thank God he did. But that is, <laughs> oh, that I, I had no idea about that. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and you know, and I, I openly tell that story because so many times we as women especially will over check boxes before we step up into challenges, right? Like the job description will be like A, B, C, D, E, F. I'm sorry. I don't have D meaning I don't have a D, right? And I will count myself out. Whereas a guy will project himself upwards. And we as women have been taught that we have to be so good before we do it, that we could even contemplate saying yes. And, you know, it. There, the amount of coaches I've had be like, nobody else in the building has a PhD. Like you could offer that to a team, even if it wasn't football related and yet you count yourself out. And so I, I want other people to hear that. Yes. As good as I was, I did not see myself that way. And it took someone else seeing it in me to even have that happen because I think I think the perception is a lot of the times when people look at me, they're like, oh, she's got it all together. She has all the answers. And I'm like, flat, no, flat, no, don't have all the answers. Just a big kid who's like, how are we going to figure this out? Right. It took you a bit to get there and it took some pushing to get there, but you're like, I'm here. And so, yeah, I want to spread this knowledge to everyone else. Yeah. Right. But we, we so romanticize like the highlights, right? Like, Oh, she did this and she did this and she did this. And it must've just been like, no, no, it's definitely not that. It's definitely not. If you've seen some of the hits I took by the guys, whew, even, oh my gosh, even one time when I was coaching them and I was teaching something, it was hilarious. Cause I like got hit and I was like, woo. And all the guys were like, oh, she's going to be broken. I'm like, guys, I'm fine. It's, it's, <laughs> you know, like, it's, it doesn't, you would you do the same thing with a guy coach. He'll get up. <laughs> like, yes, I'm littler. So I 
bounce a little higher, but you know, you're like, no, you're like getting up and they're all like, Oh my God, we killed her. You're like getting up. You're like, I'm fine. Anyways. Yeah, I'm like, I'm good. The same thing happened actually when I was, um, when I was coaching for the Cardinals, like I think it was day one and we were doing a drill and I was like, I was stepping and the linebackers were supposed to read and go out on the cone, depending on which side. And Kevin Minter, who was our captain. And I love Kev to this day. He's like one of my favorite people. He literally just like, and this is how he plays too, which is why it's so funny. He's such a downhill dude. He like came straight into me and kind of like, you know, like ran into me. And, you know, of course all the other guys were like, <gasps> and there's, I saw video of it somewhere. Cause of course the camera crew caught that, but I was like, literally, <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> and everybody else was like, like, what did you guys do? I'm like, guys, I mean, I played football against men. Like what little like tapsy is going to do anything. It's not. <laughs> so I feel like I'm um, used to it. Yeah. Oh. But I, I think it's so important to be real about those things and just not put up a pretense that it's perfect or that, you know, I have all the answers because, you know, like we've all seen it, right? You look at the perfectly um, photoshopped magazine cover, right? And you're like, oh my gosh, she's- Or even Instagram photos now. <laughs> right. I mean, you're like, oh my God, she's flawless and she's gorgeous, but there's no relationship with that. Perfect is, perfect is, is hard and it's harsh and it's, temporary at best, right? Like even a magazine cover, you think about it, think about how many photos they went through and they were like, oh, that's terrible. Oh, look at that face. Like I've done photo shoots and I'm like, oh God. Oh, I didn't even know I was capable of making that bad a face or like, what was my hair doing like this? And like, you know, and then they get one shot, right? And so I think for all of us, like it's important to be real that like even that shot that we get that that is beautiful and flawless it's temporary the real person is far from perfect on a day-to-day -day basis and hopefully we're all works in progress right you know if i if i said something badly or i i didn't handle something with grace or i or i even you know made somebody feel a not good way on one time i, I want to know about it and hopefully get better through it and um i think being open especially for successful people is so important because there's a lot more to learn in, in the journey than there just is in the destination. That's a really good point. And then also like perfect isn't relatable. And so I appreciate so much how like, you know, you are known for all these incredible things, but you're like, again, that's my highlight reel, but this is the real me who had to go through this and this and this to get there. Right. And still goes through it. Right. And it's not there. Right. Like you go through it on a daily basis and hopefully get better at certain things that were messy at, you know, earlier. And then you're like, OK, now I've got this part down. Um, but when we're a work in progress, that means there's always something new to learn, which means you have to get really ugly. Like I tell all of my kids when I coach them, like particularly teaching them to backpedal is one of my favorites because most people never learned how to backpedal. Look at some of the guys in the league. You can see they're still too high. Um, but I tell the kids, like, do you want to get good? Like, yeah. I was like, do you want to get really good? And like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, you got to get really ugly. We're about to get <laughs> you can possibly get. And they're like, what? I'm like, oh, yeah. You're like, we're let's about, go. Let's see it. <laughs> we're about to be super awkward. And they're like, because getting great is ugly. It's robotic at first. It's awkward. It's not fluent. We don't have the right cues, whether it's physical or mental. And then hopefully we work through it 
um, and, and we get to a better place. But, um, you know, whether it's skill development or human life, like it's going to be ugly at times. Um, 1000% true. As a reason to defend the lack of women in coaching at a pro level, it's been said that grown men in the NBA or NFL wouldn't be receptive to a female voice in the locker room. Did you find this to be the case? I already know what the answer is, but also if you don't mind um, sharing the story about the notes as well, um, that you put in the lockers, I just remember that distinctively. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, I think that was really interesting. That was the biggest question um, going in to me with Arizona was would guys in the NFL take coaching from a woman, right? In this rough, tough, traditionally, you know, very testosterone inducing position. And we're not talking like, you know, we're not talking something fluffy. I mean, I'm with the linebackers. So we are the crazy ones, right? Like these are the guys who have to tackle everybody. So, um, you know, it, it was, it was a resounding question. I mean, it was very loud and you're like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and first of all, the thing I would tell everybody is most guys have been coached by women their whole lives. Um, maybe just not on a football field. And actually, I think there's a beauty in having diverse voices on a coaching staff because then there are more people to talk to, right? It's not that it's necessarily always better or always worse, but there are certain things that a, a player might be able to talk to me about, whether it's because I'm not a guy. Sometimes it's not even that I'm a woman, but there's not the inherent competition or expectation from male to male, Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and others that, yeah. And, and others that, you know, hi, gosh, I do also have a PhD in psychology. Yeah. So, you know, there, Don't is, <laughs> there is that relationship element as well. Um, and there's a lot of joint journey, right. Or empathy for each other between, you know, the guys who often felt overlooked or discriminated against in their lives and in football and being an outsider as a woman, um, being often overlooked and discriminated against, particularly in football. Like, I mean, the amount of times I would have guys be like, wow, coach, like I thought I was discriminated against, or I thought it was hard for me. They're like, but, but you, they hate for just coaching while female, at least me being, you know, and, and one of the guys put it this way and it really like, it really, you know, my heart was, he said, you know, you, you, it doesn't get better to be a woman um, and in football. For me as a black man, at least they like me when I play football. That is crazy. Yeah. And, and he was like, the, the same people that dislike you or have a problem with you in this space have a problem with me outside of this space. That is so crazy. Yeah. And so it was... It was such um, a a heart-filled, real learning process for me to have those minutes with guys, right? Like I always tell people, you know, often, first of all, one of my coaching secrets, and it's it's going to sound so simple, and it really is so simple, but high performers don't want to do things wrong. We don't. And most of us already know it when we do it. So you don't have to yell about it, right? But just think of 
how many times you've heard when somebody does something wrong, they say, um, you know, what's wrong with you? Okay. What's wrong with you? Or you're stupid for doing that. Not that it was a stupid play. They just labeled you a stupid human, right? Um, well, you know, or, or why would you do that? Well, clearly, I mean, I didn't want to do something wrong, right? So all of those questions, what? Push me back. They, they, um, push, they put resistance between you and me. We're on, we're on different teams, right? Because, you know, you're doing something against me or I'm being critical of you as a human. If instead of that, you simply said like, hey, are you okay? Think about the question in what's wrong with you versus are you okay? Now here, it, it accomplishes two things. First of all, none of them want to do the wrong thing. And none of them want to think that something is wrong with them because they did the wrong thing, right? But when I say, are you okay? The assumption is, I've seen you make this play nine times out of 10. And today you're six out of 10. Now, physically nothing has changed. Let's make that assumption. There's not an injury or something like that that could cause a physical difference, right? So, but something has changed and it's not your desire to be good, but your attention is not fully with me. Now, for me, noticing that and not judging you and actually asking about you as a human, not just judging you as a performer, allows for us to develop relationship, right? Like, wow, coach really pays attention, right? And then if I say, you know, are you okay? Because it's likely something psychological. Is it something going on with your teammates? Is it something going on at home? Is it, you know, somebody you know, somebody threw you off because they yelled at you or, or whatever it is by me saying, are you okay? And do you need to talk? I've invested in the person, right? That's and That is powerful stuff. It is, it is very powerful. And this is the stuff I often work with coaches on, right? Like, and that I do think is so important of, and I do think we need a lot more of in not, I mean, I, whether it's the biggest corporations or the toughest teams, those things are human, no matter what you're doing, right? Whether you're, you're tackling the other team or you're throwing the football or whatever it is, the greatest players in the world are also very real people with very real lives and real distractions, just like any one of us. And to put that humanity first, not the robot, the human who operates the robot, right? Think of Marvin the Martian, right? Like itty bitty little dude in this big, big spaceship, right? That's that's the very real heart inside each one of these humans. And when you do that, right? And you connect with them on that. And I say, you know, do you need a minute? The amount of times it came forward into, coach, do you have a minute? And then it's, oh, my wife is so mad at me or, you know, I'm really worried about my daughter or my mom said this or, you know, coach so-and-so said this or whatever it is, whatever that concern was, the, the relationship build that comes from knowing it, it, it is the stuff that really matters, right? Even if you went back to um, like some of the interviews and you, you know, I read them in hindsight of like the players when they would ask about me as a coach. They're like, oh, she made me better as, as a player and as a person too. Or she made me want to be a better person, right? 
And when we develop that relationship, which I say is based on trust and love, it's trust and it's love, right? Then we can always get better, right? Like if you ask me about something with your wife and then I tell you, you need to squeeze to the heel depth um, and still keep outside contained, like only break off when they come to this point. Yeah, okay, coach, I got you. That stuff is really easy because we already have a foundation based on trust and love. So that mechanics or a play difference, that it's not hard, right? But the relationship is what made the coaching coach athlete exchange easy. And so um the notes are are funny. I it actually was probably the biggest story that came out when I coached in Arizona and called me like the noteworthy coach because of it. Um you are well you are the noteworthy coach in general, but yes, <laughs> I do like the nick the punny nickname. <laughs> the punny nickname, exactly. Um and so you know here it is. I, I swear at like Going through the hotel the night before the game, it was literally like theme music, right? It was like I walk in a room and it'd be like, bum, bum, bum. Not in our rooms, not in the meeting rooms. So let me clarify. But like if I was walking through the hotel, it was like all eyes on her, right? Because everybody wondered what was going to happen the time that this woman took the field as a coach for the first time, right? Like it was as if the institution of football was going to fundamentally collapse and possibly all of the linebackers would come out wearing skirts. I mean, it was just like, and it was, you know, they, it, it was so much. I was going to say, that's a lot of pressure. It was a lot. And, you know, in my mind, as I'm picturing the pressure, I'm like run out on the field, you know, like a run that I've done a million times and the whole world's watching it. I base plant, right? Like mud all up in the grill, you know, who knows? But my mind was everywhere but helpful um, and played all those scenarios. And all of us know that feeling, right? That that quiet before the storm, that that mind is racing and every scenario plays out and it was overwhelming. And with my mind being so loud, I all of the sudden realized that my mind was in all of the wrong places because it wasn't about me at all. The actual measure of a coach is not me. It's my players, right? I I mean, I, I've made my tackles. I've, you know, I've won my gold medals. This is about them. And so I had had the feeling before. I just wasn't thinking about it. It was the same feeling that I'd had before winning a gold medal. It was that that moment before you realize a dream, and that dream was the same for those those guys who you know caught a pass one day and said, "Mama, I'm going to play in the NFL." And this was that day for them. And you know this, like that Saturday night, everybody's out of the hotel; they're not there, and I wish. I I wished I could have those moments with those guys. And I didn't have people in Arizona. So, you know, I'm in the hotel, like, "Eh, I'm not going. And I wished I could have all of those moments back, right. That we had in the hallway, those minutes, because I knew that some, some of them would have the voices in their head be as, as not kind as mine. And I wished I could put my voice in their head. Not the voice that was going crazy, but the minutes. And so I took an Uber to a Hallmark and I walked through the Hallmark 
and I I instantly thought that maybe this was the worst coaching decision in the history of the National Football League. Because I, I, it had been a really long time since I'd been in a Hallmark, and everything was like so extra, like floral. You know, and I was like, oh, these dudes are going to hate me, right? Like, what? What was I thinking? And I remember I almost like ran out of there, like, like, like just, and I stopped and I was like, you know what? This is the right thing. And I turned back around and got, there is one section in there that's not really bright. It's actually pretty white. And that was the wedding section. (laughs) So I went to the wedding section and I found these just plain like thank you cards um, all they had was an embossed heart on the front. That was it. And I always <laughs> told my linebackers that, you know, as linebacker, we're the heartbeat of the defense. Um, oh, yeah. Everybody else does. So we used to do this, and you'll see it in some of those videos, spent heartbeat. And so I got those cards, and on the front, I wrote heartbeat. And then inside, I basically recounted the leadership lessons that we had had, those moments, right? Own your huddle. You don't have to be big to play big, all of this stuff. And I ended up, you know, writing all through the night and then waking up the next day and having to finish them. And um, I I was such a novice at the stadium. This is how bad it was, right? Because I didn't have any conditioning. I didn't know if the clear plastic bag applied to coaches too. Um, and I didn't want anybody to take my notes. So I put all of these notes for these guys in a clear plastic bag with the little Cardinals emblem on the front. And I, so, I mean, this is how bad it was, but you know, I realized that that was the best thing I could have done because my attention was off me and into a positive way. And so I now have these notes in this clear plastic bag, but I don't know how I'm going to get them in their lockers because you know, I, I, I had never even been in their locker room and thought it could be super awkward. Like I, I didn't want them to show me something they didn't want to see. I'd be fine, but they might yeah. have eye contact again. Like it'd be like, Oh, coach. Yeah. coach. Oh God. So, so I see James Betcher who's literally watching tape for the next game already. Cause guys, there is no, there's no downtime being a coach. He's already on to breaking down the next opponent. And I knock on the door. And it's this huge conference room that's converted during camp, right, of all the coaches' desks. And Betch turns and he's like, Coach, what's up? And I was like, hey, Betch, you know, I, I have some notes um, for my linebackers. Um, would it be okay if I had the equipment guys put them in their lockers? And he says, Coach, it's way too late for notes. We put in the game plan on Wednesday. <laughs> Oh, he thought you meant notes in the... <laughs> oh, God. Yep. yep. And I was like, um... And I just no, remember distinctly, like... Note. I, yeah, I have this clear plastic bag of, like, notes. And I distinctly remember, like, gripping it ever so tightly to my chest, right? Like, this is... So, yeah. <laughs> oh, don't take my notes. And I was like, it's not that kind of note. You're like, it's not Valentine's. Ignore the heart. <laughs> right. It was like, it's, um... Like on leadership and like own your huddle and you know you don't have to be big to play big kind of stuff. And he looks at me and he's like, "Huh?" And I just remember I had the total fight or flight mechanism, right? Like I'm like, 
paralyzed. Is he going to tell me this is the worst coaching decision in the history of the NFL? Like, do I need to run out of here before he throws something at me? Like, you know, and I'm like, and he's like, huh. He's like processing it. Yeah. And then he finally goes, huh. That was really good thinking, coach. Yeah, have the equipment guys leave him in their locker and tell him I said it was okay. And I was like, oh. I'm out of here. Before like, I did it. <laughs> so the equipment guy puts him in the lockers. And um, and I think, you know, great. We made it through. A couple of the guys were like, coach, I really appreciate those words. I'm like, not the worst coaching decision in the history of the National Football <laughs> We're good, right? And so – I think we've made it out of there. I also at this point believe that the locker room is like Vegas until a reporter comes up to me after the game. History was made tonight at University of Phoenix Field for the first time in the history of the National Football League. A woman took the sidelines as a coach and coach we heard you did something very special for your players. You left notes in their <laughs> locker would you care to comment? <laughs> no, you're like, it's the notes? No, I would not. I was like, you totally sold me out. Who am I going to kill, right? Like, I thought the locker room was like Vegas. This would have gone to the grave. Like, does this lady know this? Well, it turns out that yet again, Kevin Minter um, told the reporter that in his entire playing career he'd never had a coach care like that and I just remember like my thing to him at that time was own your huddle um and he was he was in a tough position because he was taking over in leadership for Larry Foote who was now his coach right so the guy who used to be the captain is now your coach so you're taking over the huddle, but the guy's still there, right? Like that's a hard, and you know, Footy's very Detroit. He's very like, he's as good as they get, right? But very direct. And Kev's just not that guy. He's just really easy going. He'd be like, I got you coach. Like everything's very steady. And so I think the, the, the difference in personalities between Kev and Foot was why people were like, well, you know, can he be the guy? And I just remember thinking like, okay, Kev, you own your huddle, right? Like you just, you just went on and did it. And when I asked him about it, I was like, Kev, you, you kind of sold me out on that one, right? Like I thought the locker room was like Vegas. It was like us. And he looked at me and he folded his arms and he said, coach, that was special. And they needed to know. And, you know, it, to me, it was so powerful that that wasn't a story I told. That was, here is the captain of your defense, your linebacker, who said how much it meant to have this female coach write them notes and, you know, show how much she cared. Because I could recount that story all day long or something like that, but the the impact of these guys who they questioned whether or not, you know, they would take coaching from a woman was so distinctly and clearly um, a resounding yes. And it came from them, 
you know, from him, not from me. And, um, and I think that that, that makes it even more special. I keep saying the word throughout this interview, powerful, but that's also so powerful. Like everything is just very powerful, honestly. Well, and it's powerful in, in the dynamic that it's against the norm, right? Completely. I I mean, everything about the circumstances in general are against the norm, but like they're what is making everything better, you know? Well, I remember, you know, in business school reading these books on leadership, right? And so many of them were this autocratic, unfeeling, um, very um, cold almost type of leadership. And that that was what at, at one time was what we were spoon fed. And, you know, it's, it's not what I believe a great leader is. You know, I think yeah. you lead with your heart and there is empathy and Yes, there is directness and there's clarity and all of those things, but it's relationship and it is trust and love. And we are seeing the value of empathy in human capital ROI. And I hope we continue to express that because it is very important to realize how much that genuine relationship uh, figures into human performance. Talking about leading with the heart goes like, exactly with my next question actually um so are we starting it's exactly it's exactly what you just said (laughs) but um would you say we're starting to see the idea of a coach change um where it used to be you know for lack of a better term a kind of more old angry guy um that would kind of just yell at you until you do better and then now we're seeing smarter and then quieter coaches Um, would you say this is reflective on our generation or do you think we've just learned what works and then what doesn't work in terms of, again, how to be an effective leader? I think we still have room for growth in that area, but I think we are getting better, right? I think it's both. Um, I think if you look at even still the movie depiction of a football coach, we've yet to catch up, right? Um, I think... You know, I think we need to see that these are also people and they're people that are dealing with very different personalities, right? And um, that the appeal is going to vary. And so I think art imitates culture at times and it also drives culture. And I think we need those stories told, right? I think I know that we need to kind of refresh the narrative on what is tradition and what is actually um, effective. A lot of people coach, um, when they coach, they model the behavior that they have, right? And so if your coach coached you in a certain way and that guy brought you to excellence, you assume that's the only way to coach. It's not the only way to coach. It might be a way that, you know, they say, um, you know, when I was studying sports psychology, It was like pressure builds diamonds. Yes, but it can also create a lump of coal. And so, um, yes, that high pressure yelling, you know, kind of push you to the limit. um, For lack of a better term, maybe your Bear Bryant characteristic um, has created a lot of champions. But also, it also has negative effects on other people too. And so what we have to realize is that there's not one perfect style of leadership. Right. But 
um, there are better ways to lead. And you can yell. You, you can yell. I mean, there are times when I'll yell. But also what I yell is going to be different, right? I'm not going to say uh, you're stupid. I might say that was a stupid play, right? Like there's there's a very different thing and that wouldn't even be my word choice. But um, there's a very different way of getting to the same result through an intonation in your voice, right? Like um, not you language either, just like the scenario in general, the situation. That's right. Absolutely. That's right. And and guiding people to scenarios like, you know, I it was actually a running commentary in Arizona that Coach Jen doesn't yell. Um and I I I would tell them like uh, any one of you can lean in for a whisper, but I can't la- yell loud enough that you have to listen. And yet there are other scenarios where I will kind of play around yell, but I don't, I, I seldom am angry yelling, right? Like I'm not usually angry when I'm coaching. And I think that is a different um, mindset in what it takes to get to excellence. Um, and not everybody responds well yelling. It shuts some people down. So really realizing that the measure of what a great coach is, I think, I think what resonates with athletes is authenticity um, and, you know, really being consistent. And if you yell, yell at everybody, Um, but don't just yell at one guy, right? Like if it's your characteristic, like I had a coach once and he's one of my favorite humans in the world, coach Anthony Stone, he coaches at all my kids camp. That dude can yell, but First of all, it was never personal. And second of all, he was just loud. He wasn't mean. He was loud. And there's a very big difference. You know, he's six foot four and from Chicago. It was never personal. It was never this. Like, I actually found it funny. I didn't find it intimidating. You know, the truth is that he was so enthusiastic that he was boisterous and he was intense. And he was he, a louder person. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> like, but it, it, it never came across as personal and, you know, in like discriminative and um, judgmental. It was just like this loud dude, right? And intense dude. And I think knowing, knowing that somebody is c- consistent and authentic and also cares about you as a human, then I think the volume is less significant than the, again, the relationship and the trust and love that goes behind it. And also realizing that we can recover if we have a great relationship, right? Like, let's just say I'm, I have a bad day and I say something in the wrong way because we all do it. Right. And I, you know, it's like that moment where the words came out of your mouth and you immediately regret them, but you can't take them back. Yep. The worst already in the world. And we've all had those moments. (laughs) when you have a great relationship, like somebody could say, coach, that was rude. And I'll be like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. And you're so right. Right. And, and we won't hold on to it, but we can say, or like, that's not like you. Was that what you meant to say? Right. And I say that to people all the time. I'm like, Hey, you did say that out loud, by the way, just, <laughs> you know, just trying to like check them. The right. And, and yeah. with a, a relationship that is not based on perfection, but perfect intention, then you can recover from deviant behavior and not meaning deviant, like 
um, like, ooh, <laughs> but like something that deviates from the norm. And I think that that is much more important. And, you know, again, it's that relationship component and one that is personal and professional that you can say, like, I didn't appreciate that, or that hit me wrong, or, you know, let's talk about that and, and still recover. Um, but you have to have that relationship and that trust at the back end that, you know, you know, I don't want to treat you badly and I don't think you deserve to be treated badly. And so it's not generally my intention. If something made you feel that way, then educate me as to why. And I will try and get better. And I hope that you'll get better too, whether it was something I said personally or something I asked you to do on the football field, right? Because guess what? As good as a game plan is, doesn't mean we have perfect information either. They might flip it up. And I told you to do this. I told you to do it. And yet it was wrong in the scenario. They got us. But if you did what I told you, I'm going to say it was on me. If you did your own thing, then then I was on you. And guess what? I'll say that was a bad call on my behalf, right? And I'm sorry to put you in that position. And here's what we're going to do to course correct, as opposed to just throwing somebody in the, under the bus. And I think, I think if we put those things first um, in coach-athlete relationships, then we have a lot more room for grace and growth. I think that like the way that you coach reminds me of where when a parent, it, it kind of reminds me of a parent where it's like when a parent's kind of just yelling and getting louder and louder, it's like just because they're getting louder doesn't mean you're listening more. You kind of like tune them out as opposed to like, you know, you're actually in trouble when your parents talking more calmly and just saying how like disappointed they are or something like that. But, and then that's when you're listening and that's when you remember it. And it's like, you truly respect what they're saying. Um, but I mean, granted also you're like a light, I mean, you are, you know, football coach, but it's, you're also a life coach. And, but it's so funny too, because I've had guys be like, oh my gosh, I could pick out that raspy voice anywhere. And, you know, I, it's not really going to get super much louder than this for all the vocal damage I've done for just career. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Don't make me yell. I don't want to. <laughs> no, I don't want to yell. And I, and I, and I really don't want to get mad. Like, I don't like being mad. It takes a lot to actually get me angry to like kick puppy or torture children or, you know, something like that. Like then you'll see me mad, but it takes a lot to get there. So let's not get there. Let's not go there. I don't, I don't want to. And I don't believe that you want to perform badly, right? Like I don't, I don't, most people don't want to like suck on a day-to-day -day basis, right? Like it's not like generally somebody's going to go into a game and be like, you know what? I hope I'm terrible today. I hope I miss every tackle. I hope I, I, you know, I, I hope I don't make any plays. I actually hope I get benched. Like, probably not it. So if the performance is off, what is the gen, what is the genesis of that performance deficit? How do we correct that? Where is your mind? And, and that's generally where it is. Where is your mind that it's not here right now? Is it worried about the next game? Is it worried about who's watching? Is it worried about, you know, your mom is, you know, in the hospital or, you know, something along those lines, like, okay, let's talk about it. Let's deal with it. And then let's get you back to present. Um, or was it one bad play that you're still stuck in? Like, let's go, let's be back to present and let's focus on what's in our control right now.
And it's acknowledging those. It's just, yeah, I mean, it's just very impressive, but it's, I feel like a little bit too, is just, you know, women just naturally have better communication skills as well. So it's like acknowledging those things where it's like, okay, we don't need to just brush over it and keep going. Let's acknowledge it. And then if we acknowledge it and then figure out what, again, the problem is, then we'll move past it. But then if not, otherwise it's like, just keeps, and not to stereotype by any means, but. Right. I mean, but to allow talking about those things is something that men have generally, you know, I think only recently have been, it, that it's even permissible to talk about feelings in those scenarios, right? Like, um, and I had players tell me that too. They're like, I was never allowed to say that. Um, you know, it wasn't a part of my culture or my family to be able to express that. That's not the image or the persona that I was allowed to adopt. And so in some of those things, yes, um, we are uniquely positioned to break through some of that and to allow the humanity to shine, which is ultimately what we need and want. Um, I remember probably not my finer moment. Maybe it was, I don't know. Um, this ex, I think he was an ex Marine, um, hard pitching me on how I should let, um, how I should advocate for his, mental toughness program to be adopted with more NFL teams. Um, and I said, you are exactly barking up the wrong tree. And he was like, no, we need to make them more like soldiers. And I was like, actually, we don't. We need less soldier and more human. We need to actually be able to teach them to um, to flip a switch in between the white lines and off. But I don't need to dehumanize these men anymore. And I frankly resent the fact, one, that you're trying to do it, and two, that you would think I would be a person who would actually do it um, or agree to that. And he, I mean, I, when I tell you this dude tried like three more times, I was like, when I talk about it's hard to make me angry, oh, that'll make me angry. You You want... You want less human in these guys. You want more soldier. I have a real problem with that. I have a real, real problem with that um, because that doesn't get you anywhere. And it's exactly opposite what I've advocated for. And I told him and he was like, and what makes you, wait, I was like, uh, what makes you qualified for that? And I was like, uh, maybe that I'm a doctor. Are you a doctor? And he was like, no, I'm a soldier. And I was like, well, there you go. <laughs> and and oh, God. the fact that he just assumed he knew more about these men because he was a man or because he was in the army or whatever it was, um, or military service was, to me, it was, it was exactly the problem is that we need less empathy. We need less individual. We need less person. And I fundamentally disagree with that. Um, so I agree, but you were, no, you're freaking amazing. Um, last question. What do you, um, I'm sure you get this a lot also, but what do you hope that both men and women really learn from your story? Um, you know, I guess there are a few things. Um, Number one, 
I'm going to speak to women on this one. So often I hear when it comes to the advancement of women that it's women at the expense of men, right? It's women for women, by women, all of that. I don't disagree with the fact that women have to support women, but it's not women versus men. It's actually supposed to be women and men for the advancement of equality, right? And if there are no women in the room and this is a room that you want to get into, then you actually need to work with men to make that happen. And I think, and I think too often there is an assumption with that mechanism of women versus men that the men are automatically against you and they're working against you. That's not really how a lot of men think. Now, men often say that they want to help, but they don't know what to do. So instead of assuming that there's a fight, when you want to fight, you can always find one, right? Instead of assuming that they're the ones fighting against you, why don't you walk into that same situation or that same room and look for support, engage in competition and allow them to be great advocates because I would not be the person that I am or in the position that I am in or doing all of the things that I am if it was me versus the guys, okay? That is not something that is okay. Now, that doesn't mean that's the place and the case always. And I would coach the guys because they often ask me, you know, what they can do and I say, be a great ally. You look at a room and say that a woman's trying to get into it or she's the only one and just look at it through the lens of how you would want your mom, your sister, your girlfriend, your daughter to be treated. And if the men in that room are not treating the woman or women in that room, the way that you would want your daughter to view the world, then speak up because bullies um, thrive in insecurity. And if you are in the position to course correct the conversation and you don't do it, then yes, it is going to continue to be a problem. But if you as guys say that this isn't okay, guess what? it's going to cease to be okay. And you're going to be part of creating a culture that is better for women. And we all, we all have the opportunity to do that in different ways, in different conversations, in different spaces. And I know that I will um, quickly course correct a conversation that does not honor, um, you know, the men or the women in my life and what they do. And we all have to be willing to do that. And so for me, that's what I hope that we do better um, is that we work on men and women working together. And we realize that we can and we should and that we're better when we do those things and we're better in more diverse rooms than we ever can be when it's just us versus them, right? And and I've seen it, and I've seen it, and I've lived it time and time again, right? The men that I played football with rallied around me being on that field. It made them better. They still say it to this day. The men that I've coached 
they were protective of me and I was protective of them. And when we do that, we will make every situation better. And we also want to do that for the generations that are coming up and looking at us because I want boys to see that women can be in positions of authority, whether it's football or business or in any area. And I want the girls to see that she can be that person. And if we're not modeling that behavior through, then we are inauthentic when we look at uh, boys and girls, the young ones, and say that you're equal or that the opportunities are equal for you. Did you just shed wisdom without even? <laughs> like you did, you're lit. I was like, when you were talking, I was like, I hope she is like on audiobook just so I can hear this. <laughs> you're like the calm app. I'm serious. If everyone could just like listen to you in the morning, the world would be a much better place. Oh my gosh. Um, I could not agree more. And also with saying that, like men seeing um when like women in positions of power and then also like raising their daughters to be like that as well and then vice versa um and i think it's just such a cycle yeah and it makes it just a a different lens to look at the world through right and there are don't get me wrong like i have had um in one situation in particular there was a male coach who definitely did not want me there it was not with the Cardinals this was after and this guy sucks <laughs> yeah I mean and he was bad and it was it was so obvious that the guys were actually my biggest advocates right oh, like, and that's when you would, know oh yeah like he would let's say I was coaching somebody up and this guy would come over and you know speak over me or um or say the same thing louder or any of those and the guys would be like, I'm sorry, you know, coach is talking. Um, or like, can, can you let the Hall of Famer speak? Or like, oh, yeah, she just told me that. Um, and it was, it was crazy to me because I had tried to stand up for myself and advocate for myself and, and got nowhere. Um, but where they consistently shut that behavior down um, – somebody who was doing it because he thought it was cool or whatever, you, you lose the power in your voice. And so we, we can all do that in, in situations big and small where, where we, we advocate for other people to the strength of them. And if we look through that lens, we'll be a hell of a lot more successful overall. And it makes the conversations different and it really does change um, change the culture of scenarios in a positive way. Gosh. Um, speaking of change, the biggest game changer ever <laughs> for my – you're like, stop, stop. But um, I cannot thank you enough um, for being on the show and for just everything you've done. Um not to, you know, not to make you uncomfortable, but just I, it's such a pleasure to, every time I've ever heard you speak or every time I feel like I get to talk to you, I'm like, you just shed light on so many situations that are so real. Um, and it's just, it's, it's things people need to hear, you know? Um, and although, you know, you, <laughs> you definitely had to go through the weeds to get there. You have, are changing the way that 
you know, systems are for the better for the rest of us behind you. And sorry, you had to get the branches to the face, but (laughs) you know, I mean, we, we continue to get in situations because, you know, because that's what we were made for. Right. Like I, I lovingly say that I have, I have strong shoulders for a reason and it's the journey that has prepared me to, um, to take on other situations. And I tell people when I don't have the strength in and of myself, that's okay. Because the strength that I find is not for myself, just progressing. It's for the people that the progress is really meant for. And that is the next person. Um, and it also means that, you know, I am not a person that anybody will really be neutral about. You will seldom hear somebody be like, meh, they either will really like me or they will really not. And there are a lot of people who, you know, if the status quo makes them comfortable, if that's their comfort zone, being a disruptor means that you will be resented. Right. And, and that is not an easy thing either. I think, I think we all, we all want to, you know, be liked. I mean, I know I do. And yet um, you can't be a disruptor and also make everybody happy um, because they're already happy. So they're not going to be happy with change. And so, I, I mean, I fight with that probably more often than I should. And certain ones of my friends are like, who cares? Who cares if they don't like you for it? And I'm like, well, I actually do because, you know, some of those people who don't like you for it are also people that may be decision makers. And yet, you know, I think that that's also when we have to realize that that's what that's what consistency and authenticity and bravery really are. It's doing the right things when they're unpopular, right? And, and maybe not popular to a decision maker. Um, but if nobody does it, then things will not change. And so, um, I pull strength from, you know, the young girls that I coach and I, I do want the world to be different for them. So, I will fight for, for them, um, in a situation where I may not have had it in and of myself to do it for myself. And I think, you know, that's why we say in football, we say football, family, and faith. It's always about like playing for something bigger than yourself. Well, football taught me that, you know, I often joke and say, I'm a great fullback. Um, but if you look at, you know, um, opening doors, that's what it is. It's been being a great lead blocker. And then that means the next person probably gets to carry the ball further than, than I did. Um, but I took on, on something to open the hole for them to be able to go score a touchdown or do something along those lines. You are so incredible. (laughs) Um, gosh, I, we are out of time, unfortunately, and I appreciate you going over, but um, I cannot thank you enough again for being on, uh, Dr. Jen, you revel like revolutionary person. Um, 
and just thank you so much again for what you're doing for society as a whole. Um, and I wish that there were more people like you. And I think there are more people like you, you know? Um, I think that just takes someone to kind of do it first, like what you said. I think courage can be contagious. Um, and I think that's why it's important that we have bold conversations, that we connect with people, that we get real about things because um, that's what it's about, right? It's the it's the spark of, you know what, I can bring that into my own life, into my own situation, into my own conversations, big and small. And that's when we get real change. It's not, it's not one person, it's, it's ripple effects from things that can continue to move the needle um, and hopefully create ripple effects where what once was, you know, an exception can actually become a new rule. Yeah, completely. Jen, you are the best. Thank you so much again. Um, I Yeah, you're just, you're amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I appreciate it. And I love what you're doing. Anytime I can oh, support you, you know, I'm going to. You are um, the best. <laughs>